Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? How are we feeling? I'm good, Sam. How you doing, man? I'm good. Who we got this week? This week, we have Shauna Alexander, who's head of brand partnerships at Fader. Um, I'm sure a lot of you know Fader from their magazines and their online spreads. They're known for finding artists right before they pop, but it's really interesting to get into how Shauna does that with brand partnerships and artist partnerships with brands. Uh, so today, we not only talk about Fader's brand and, and Fader's mission, which is to find those artists right before they pop, but also how that's facilitated via brand deals. Um, I think it's a really a really dope interview for, for artist managers or people lurk, working at labels, especially with, with indie artists and artists a little bit more early on in their career, just to kind of hear her process of what it's like to, to not only find brands to work with, but artists to work with. And Fader is obviously a front runner in the indie world and in the entertainment world as it pertains to finding new artists. So what'd you think, Sam? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I think, uh, I mean, brands and brand partnerships, it is cool because they're not just sponsoring Fader and we we really dive into this. I mean, when brands are are working with Fader, Fader goes above and beyond to come up with these really a la carte bespoke campaigns for, for the different brands that they're working with. And I think Fader has an incredible network of talent, so they're able to work on really interesting brand campaigns and tap into awesome talent. I think what's cool about that is it, uh, I mean, brands to some extent, when they're doing brand deals with artists, are brands are becoming like patrons of art, right? They're, they're able to help fund um, the, these artists, especially at such a challenging time where a lot of artists aren't making any revenue from a live touring perspective, being able to partner with brands is can be like a true lively a source of livelihood for artists and I, I think beyond some of the work she's doing with brands some of the partnerships they're brokering we also dive into into some different uh, tactical ways in which you guys can get in your brand bag because everybody wants to get in the brand bag it's a nice bag <laughs> i ain't going front <laughs> so before we get into this week's episode uh really do want to give a special shout out to our sponsor video i think it's really important that we're working with brands that we feel can create a lot of value for you as our listeners. And we truly believe that video is just that. Jordan, what, what exactly Absolutely. is video though? Let the people know. Absolutely. Let them know. Shout out video, man. Video is an end to end music technology platform that provides labels and managers with the infrastructure and technology they need to power their business. Sam and I did a demo of it a couple weeks ago. We fell in love with it. and We're really glad we get to promote it on our podcast. They offer global and audio video distribution, supply chain management, analytics, right management, payments, detailed revenue reporting, marketing, and more. Not only that, but as a distribution service, their premium partner, of leading digital service providers such as Spotify, Apple, TikTok, Vivo, YouTube, Facebook, as well as actually broadcast networks, video networks, BET, MTV, and Music Choice. So why should they care, Sam? I think as you guys as listeners are all trying to grow and scale your business, whether you're an independent label, a manager, uh, you need to be in a position where you can really focus on scaling your business, focusing on the business strategy. And I think where video comes in is they provide that back office support so you can scale your business without necessarily having to get bogged down by various critical functions in growing your business. With that said, uh, they continue to partner with top independent talent 
and actually announced their partnership with Acon's label, Convict Culture, just a couple of weeks ago. So I do really want to encourage you guys to learn more. I think if you're working with an artist or if you're running a label and you're looking for a distribution partner, uh, Vidya should definitely be an option that you're evaluating. And I think you'd be very, very happy with what you get if you look into it. Um, and in that same vein, we really want to encourage you to apply. I mean, it's a, it's a closed platform, so you need to apply in order to be able to kind of distribute through Vidya. And they did create a unique application page exclusive for the Music Business Podcast listeners. So if you are looking for a premier distribution partner, just head over to vidya.com slash MVP to request an invite today. That is vidya, V-Y-D-I-A dot com slash MVP. And without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Let's do it. Shauna, thanks for coming out to the podcast. Oh my God, thanks. I'm very pumped. I was super hyped when you liked my when you liked my LinkedIn post about it because I was like, oh my God, like this is easy. I can just invite her because she already knows what it's she already knows what it is. <laughs> so um I jumped on it pretty quick. Um but yeah, so I guess uh just for starters, uh what are what is your job title and responsibilities at Fader, just for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, so I'm the head of brand partnerships at the Fader. For people who don't know what Fader is, uh, we are, quote, the definitive guide to emerging music and the lifestyle that surrounds it. We have a magazine and obviously a digital media platform. We used to do a bunch of events before COVID, the famous Fader Fort, if you will, um, at South by Southwest and several other cities. And then it's really my job to drive revenue for the Fader by working with brands that care about emerging music, especially. Music, sure, but like Cardi B doesn't need me to make her brand partnerships. <laughs> you know, like somebody who doesn't know, you know, really smaller artists, that's kind of our sweet spot. Um, and it's what right. we do editorially and then from a business side too. Okay, cool. So what are, uh, what are some recent partnerships that you've collaborated on that you're excited about? Yeah, the one that I'm like super hyped about is uh, we just are this close to finishing a partnership with Dolby, um, obviously an, an amazing sound company with killer technology. Um, they've been doing a lot of great work in the sort of like what they call B2C space, which means like business to consumer. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the, the partnership that we built surrounded a, was around our Fader Fort event. Um, we brought Fader Fort on, online after COVID happened. Um, and so the end of, uh, end of July, excuse me, uh, we worked with Dolby to blow out Fader Fort with all these re really cool like emerging artists, but also to launch an artist spotlight competition for an artist to be able to win their first ever debut on the Fader and like an interview with our actual editorial team. And it's it's like very editorial and very real. And it's not just sort of like a flat brand partnership. So we're actually announcing that um, this week. And the winner of that is actually Art Bishops and they're a Johannesburg trio. They're amazing. I highly recommend everybody check them out. No plug. I mean, um, no plug. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no problem. Um, a couple questions actually deriving from from that campaign. One is um, how do these how do these campaigns come together? One uh, generally, and two, how do you end up choosing an artist for a campaign like that, or, or campaigns in general? I know Fader obviously is known for finding artists before they pop, especially like putting them on the cover. Um, and it sounds like you're extending that brand to to brand partnerships as well. Um, but what are some of the things that you look for in an artist as well? Yeah, you're totally right. That sweet spot of being able to break somebody is why brands approach us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like we were just talking earlier, and I don't mean to pick on Cardi, but like she doesn't need the fader for anything anymore. She used to right. when she cover and when she played fader for it, but now she has a team and, you know, a major label that can help her get whatever she wants and like kudos to her. And so brands come to us because they have 
an audience that cares about music and specifically emerging music or being the first to something. They're both pretty tethered together, right? And mm. so the fader being a vehicle for that tends to work with brands in that space often because we are the taste makers and the curators of who those artists are. And mm. so what ends up happening is it's kind of twofold. One, either a brand will approach us usually with a brief um, or sometimes they just say, fader, you're cool. We want to work with you. <laughs> and then it happens, uh, and, <laughs> you know, and we'll make a cool idea and a concept. We'll pitch it to them and hopefully it gets sold through. It's a pretty long process that usually takes anywhere from three to six months mm -hmm. or what my favorite part to do is proactively go find brands that I think could benefit from reaching out to our audience. Mm. And so that's actually what we did or what I did with Dolby. It made total sense now that they're doing something in a consumer facing play, especially in a play that is focused on emerging musicians to work with theater because our audience is emerging musicians. And so we built a partnership together that kind of catered to that narrative and also did something good by helping them, by offering them a tool that could like enhance their recordings in sort of this time of like live stream culture. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that works. And then for the second part of your question, um, we actually have, the, the secret weapon at the theater is two things. One, I have a badass editorial team that just knows <laughs> about like emerging music more than anyone. Like mm -hmm. that is not my specialty. My specialty is connecting the dots between brands and artists. It is not knowing who's going to be the next like pop can, right? And so right. I have an editorial team that does that. And that's all they do. They live, like breathe, sleep, eat emerging music. We also have an amazing talent team that works within the industry to kind of know the going rates and sort of who's willing to do what and what artists care about what brands. And so together, those two entities help me pitch artists to the brands once we've got mm. the partnership going through. So it's kind of like having experts in all of the areas work together, which is why we tend to be really successful. Right, right. Yeah. That's so, really cool. um, Oh, you so when you're say. when you're kind of when it comes to the the process, obviously you've done a lot of really awesome activations, uh, different brands, and Adobe is in a really cool space. And you can go in a million different directions. Pre-COVID, during COVID, obviously sure. Fader has a thriving media business and creates tons of cool content. Um, and there was obviously, the, I mean, so now that events are off the table, and even prior when events were just an option in the portfolio of ways you could engage with the brand, how, how do you approach kind of? Uh, concept development as it pertains to developing out an end-to-end -end campaign for potential brands? Yeah, so that's also has sort of like multiple angles, right? So we'll kind of tackle each one. The first is we get an RFP, which is a request for proposal from a brand that says, hi, we care about these people and we want you to do XYZ, ABC in order to make that happen. And therefore we have some wiggle room, but we kind of have to stay in the parameters of what they like want us to do or, or expecting their campaign to sort of be a part of. And it's not just, it's very rare that it's just us getting that brief. There's many other music brands that also tend to get those briefs too. So they're vague enough where anybody can plug in and we sort of bring our like fader focus to it. Like for us, again, it's about how do we pitch the next Billie Eilish in like a cool conceptual way. The second thing is I have an amazing team, like I said. And so when they want to do something, you know, to sort of back up for a second, the fader is, thank you for saying it earlier, like a, a, a successful media property, but we're also the David versus many Goliaths. And so we have 
slim resources when it comes to brands that are under uh, maybe a Condé Nast, a Hearst, or a Meredith portfolio, right? Fader is independently owned and owned by the same two guys who created it over 21 years ago. Um, and so, You're like a consistent David, though. Like, when you think of David and Goliath, you think, oh, he got lucky that one time. But, like, yeah, you, you, are, you are David, like, multiple times. Yeah, we're consistently <laughs> fighting for, like, breadcrumbs. And don't get me yeah. wrong, when we win, it's, it's so epic, right? The team is jazzed. Everyone's excited. And, you know, we get told no a lot, and it is what it is. Um, you can't take it personally. Um, mm -hmm. But that being said, the team will come up with really cool concepts that they want to do, whether it's a video series or an event series, or maybe it's even just some beautiful journalism about a niche, you know, subgenre in, like, Legos or something. You know, they'll come up with that, and they'll give me that information, and then I will arm myself with all their kind of, like, cool quips and stuff and go to brands and find someone to try to pay for it. And so that's kind of how conceptualizing happens. The one thing that I haven't mentioned is I have an amazing strategist. She is like my right hand and my left arm and, you know, half of my brain. Her name is Madeline. Um, and she really kind of takes whatever information I give her from the brands and just runs with it and builds like an incredible strategy with the input from our team. And that's, and by team, I mean the folks who are in, editorial which could be written editorial journalism or video and also our talent teams and our social media team so and when i say team it's like two or three people on each team it's not like 45 um we are definitely like we were just saying a, a pretty much a david still in this scenario yeah, yeah yeah that's how it works pretty collaborative that's awesome Godred. um i just wanted to ask like you kind of went over it a little bit um a few minutes ago but in depth like what is the process looking like and this is also a question that our uh patron standard was wondering uh what's the process like for actually finding brands to collaborate with like specifically like what research goes into it you know it's you know there, there's one thing to say like oh this company will probably be good with fader because this this and this and they're very high level but what's some of the like minutia where you're like okay this company hasn't put out anything with a brand in a while, or I guess like, you know, what, what, what's some of that information that you look for? Yeah. So, okay. Um, part of this is like spidey sense in a way, uh, just for being in this business and then sort of in this universe for 15 years. Um, I kind of know what brands care about music and let alone emerging music. And so while, I don't chase after the Cloroxes or the Procter and Gamble's because they don't care about the space that the fader is in. Even though we may have people who buy their products, it's it's a disconnect between that messaging, right? And so right. For, for fader specifically, it's both a really hard sell because there's maybe 50 brands in total that mm -hmm. like I can approach at any given time. But it's also nice because I know that universe and I get to be an expert on those brands rather than trying right. to understand the entire advertising universe. That being said, it's also about knowing like who's working with who. So just keeping an eye on the competition, to be quite honest, is like rule number one. Right. Right. Um, and just what those brands have been doing the entire time that I've been sort of working with them or representing them. I also have really great relationships within the industry, uh, advertising industry. So I just ask, I just kind of go, hey, what are you guys focused on in six months? What can Fader do to make this happen? If you don't have a Rolodex, um, then mm -hmm. really what's helpful is like checking out websites like AdAge and AdWeek. Those give you kind of like the up-to-date sort of information on like what the advertising universe is doing. And you'll be able to know which ones care about music. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, watching things like the VMAs that happened last night or the Grammys, you'll know what brands care about music. The other thing is, is that I am an expert on who our audience is. And so I need to be able to convey to the brands who that person is, and that person needs to connect with who that brand is trying to reach out to, right? We're trying right. to facilitate transactions, right? Or maybe brand awareness. And so, you know, if a major luxury car, like the fader has a pretty affluent audience. We're very grateful for that. So like we mm -hmm. can align really well with a luxury car. On the flip side, we've also done some really great work with Toyota because both brands inherently care about music. And so, right. you know, it's just kind of understanding how those like demographics about the fader, like plug and play into a brand's already like existing strategy. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's incredible. And when it comes <laughs> I feel like to- I like so long-winded about that, so sorry. <laughs> no, no, I mean, yeah, we haven't really even discussed uh, branding as much as I would like to on the podcast. So I'm just glad that we're getting into the weeds of everything. And I think your answers are very clear and concise. So I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. I also think it's cool, too, because at the end of the day, it, I mean, it's brands in some ex to some extent are like patrons of the art, uh, especially when they're, they're partnering with you rather than just like giving their money straight to Facebook. So I, I think it's um, because it goes into investing into the culture, into the community, and actually into the different artists you're partnering with. So I think that's super valuable. When it comes to the side of um, like artists partnering directly with brands, because I, I think there's something that our listeners are definitely curious about, given that there's emerging artists, it's been a tough time with COVID, live has been off the table. Um, like, do you have any advice for like artists that are looking to maybe strike up their own smaller partnerships directly with brands themselves? Yeah. So hold on, wait, I want to go back to that thing about patronage that you just said. Yeah, and then for sure. Your Perfect. So the thing about the patronage is that's why I got into brand partnerships. I had been working at a law firm for five years and hated my life. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Terrible idea. Um, and instead I was throwing house shows on the weekends with a bunch of friends and cool bands and whatnot. And essentially I would charge $5 for the keg and then, you know, whatever. It, I ended up learning that I loved being sort of a patron of the arts from that respect. And so that's mm -hmm. why I see what I do is like essentially the communicator or translator between brands so that way artists can exist. Like the North Star of my entire life since like 2006 really at this point has been like getting resources for brands. I mean, getting resources for artists through brands. So that concept mm -hmm. of patronage is like right on the money. I say that because also brands are starting to see themselves that way, especially during COVID. So it's definitely an opportune time. I think the thing that needs to be mindful of is artists are not gonna be able to charge a million dollars for an Instagram tweet or, or tweet anymore, right? Because there is no live revenue. Mm -hmm. And so something that you need to keep in mind as a singular artist trying to broker a brand partnership is like, you have to be competitive in the market. And I'll tell you right now, there are a lot of artists that I'm getting feedback from, from our talent team that are coming in way under budget than I expected they would be for a partnership. I don't mm -hmm. want to like toss out any names. We're, we're talking yeah. mega artists who would normally charge six figures are coming in at like way less than that. And so that's something to keep in mindful, like to keep mindful of in this time is like, yes, brands are willing to like work with artists because they understand that like live music is in jeopardy. Um, and that the future of live music because of what's happening to venues is also in jeopardy. They also know that they can get a really big artist for, for cheaper right now. And so that's the one thing I'd say keep in mind. The other thing is 
you need to know as an artist who your audience is. Just like I'm an expert on the faders audience, you need to be an expert on who your audience is and why a brand actually should care about who your audience is and make sure your engagement is insane because that's what they're buying, right? They're buying your influence over a group of people, whether that's a thousand people or hundred thousand people, or maybe it's a million people. I don't know, you know, what level of artists we're talking about here. But it's, at the end of the day, you are selling your ability to influence. That's also what the fader does. Remember how we were talking about earlier, how we are a curator? That just all comes back down to influence. And so artists can do it themselves. They just need to be really mindful of being able to facilitate uh, facilitate those sort of like conversations and transactions. Yeah, no, all super well said. And when, I mean, within that vein of in, of um, knowing your audience, like I know there's there's like demographics, like psychographics, like just general like interests. Like, can you get a little more tactical when you say like know your audience, or even the exercise or way in which you like when you say you know your audience? I know you rattled off a couple different points about the fader audience, but for an artist that's looking to like communicate who their audience is, what exactly should they be looking for? Yeah, I think the thing that you really need to know, the demographics are super important, but you also need to know what kind of content they respond to, you know, because mm -hmm. again, you're facilitating a conversation on behalf of a brand. So mm -hmm. you need to be able to have people, you need to be able to engage people in that conversation. So if they care more about when you go IG live and you are off the cuff and you're not rehearsed and it's like, you know, it's a solo performance or maybe you're just talking to them, that's what you need to pitch, right? Rather than, okay, I'm gonna try to make a branded video which may cost a bunch of money and, and to be honest, may not have the return on the, on the investment that the brands are looking for. You just need to, I mean, it sounds so silly, but like inherently, like what makes your, what makes your audience happy? What, what connects with them? What gets them excited? Is it your new music? Is it talking about fashion? Like what are those things that kind of engage them and excite them on top of the demographics? And like by demographics, I mean their gender split, though that's like questionable these days, um, where they live, um, their age, if they're educated, um, if you have the ability to access information on their like household income, um, all that is kind of really important for sort of painting the picture of a consumer. Yeah, no, that, that's super helpful. And then I think what is really interesting for the brands, and you mentioned too that brands, not every brand cares about music and cares about kind of tapping into that market. But I don't know, I mean, as like a marketer myself too, I feel like the music and musicians are, are truly like cultural tastemakers. So in the same way that you're finding artists before they break, which I think is awesome for brands too, because they get an opportunity to like partner with artists before they blow. But even then it's like artists have a similar effect on like when working with brands, they're able to like through culture, people look up to artists as tastemakers. So if they're able to support and endorse interesting brands in, in a tasteful and organic way, I, I feel like that really can have a domino effect of adoption around the brands. You feel the same way? Absolutely. I mean, gosh, I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, but I mean, there are so many brands that have even had a turn. Well, I guess this is a questionable one, but here we'll go. Gap was a brand that maybe people hadn't really thought about in a while. And then they partnered with Telfar, which was incredible, right? And then they partnered with Kanye. When was the last time you thought about Gap prior to like January of this year? <laughs> right? And I'm going to say that with so much love because they're actually a really great brand and do really care about music. But like now they're partnering with Kanye. Now everybody talked, all they, all people could talk about for three weeks was like Gap and Kanye, Gap and Yeezy, uh -huh. Gap and Yeezy, right? And it's like, while again, say what you will about Kanye, like 
that's the magic of like working with an artist, right? Especially an artist that is so like able to engage people in conversation, good or bad, right? I mean, you don't always want to be the lightning rod that Kanye is in these scenarios, but it's a really good example of like sort of both sides of the coin, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think it was crazy too, because I think Gap, even like the stock price went surging the day that news started to break. It was like people were just blowing up for sure. And I mean, he single-handedly can like bring Gap back to like like a very long phase of like cultural relevance. And obviously that translates to sales and business growth. Yeah, absolutely. And you can even can see that with like, you know, when Gaga did her partnership with Pepsi or, and I know we're only talking about big artists because the smaller ones are just so hard to quantify in that kind of mm-hmm. impact. But like whenever an artist works with a major brand in that capacity, Post Malone and Bud Light, like talk about that partnership. Like not only was it sort of like cheeky and funny and like, to be fair, like Anheuser-Busch did such a great job <laughs> But it was also like it stemmed like a merch line and then like the dive bar sessions. It just had so many legs to now like, I don't know about you, but like I can't think about Post Malone without a Bud Light and I can't think about Bud Light without Post Malone anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It, 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 it kind of reminds me of like late 2000s, early 2010s when there were a bunch of artists rocking vape. That mm-hmm. was like the oh, thing. Yeah. And a bunch of artists had like, and, and, and vape, it, it's, it's obviously like a pretty big brand, but it's not like, you know, Bud Light or anything like that. But you saw Lil Wayne wearing Bape. Like Metro Boomin had a deal with Bape. Um, and it sort of it sort of solidified itself as like, as artists come up, especially in like hip hop culture, they're probably gonna wear some Bape. And and it got it got to my family. My brother bought a bunch of Bape. <laughs> like my grandfather <laughs> bought a bunch of Bape. And a lot yeah. of that was driven by artists interacting with the brand in like a real tangible way and in a, in an organic way. Absolutely. And I mean, even like, you know, Pharrell and his like Adidas partnership, like Mm -hmm. that's a great example of that too, you know, to the point where now there's even like a major festival that, you know, Adidas doesn't normally do a lot in like a physical music sense, Mm -hmm. but like they're a major partner with something in the water, you know, and it's like once you kind of find your real like brand ambassador through music, like it's a pretty good place to like invest very deeply if you're a brand i.e. just how we were talking about Post Malone and, and Bud Light. Right, right. Um, you, you got a question, Sam? Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, when yeah. it comes to adapting with, uh, um, during COVID, I mean, get, I know Fader 4, like even I was going to, I was on route, had to cancel a trip out to South by for <laughs> some brand-related partnership that we were working on. And uh, like, I mean, that was like the first major domino to fall. And it was like, oh, okay, like, here we go. (laughs) What what is COVID? What is this? After after South by South. Yeah, Yeah, but I'm sure it's been interesting because even though like Fader and Fader Fort, I mean, obviously there are these really strong, I mean, incredibly important, like culturally important kind of Fader offerings that took place in person. I mean, Fader also by its nature is very much a, a digital company. So what, um, like, how have you adapted or, and what have you really been pressing into more as a result of COVID when it comes to kind of helping brands thrive in partnering? Uh, yeah. And that was going to be the same exact question I was going to ask. So me and Sam got that brain trust going on here, but that was literally <laughs> the same exact thing I was going to I'm also excited to be, to talk about it. Cause like, to be quite honest, and I'm going to sound a little smug here, but like, the Fader was the first real publication to do anything after, like, once COVID happened. 
Um, and we really pride ourselves on that. Granted, it was helpful that we were also on our way to South by Southwest trying to make Fader Fort happen in real life. So we were able to pivot most of that lineup and also, well, to be quite honest, 120 artists into doing a live stream on the 30th, uh, excuse me, the 31st of March and on the 1st of April. We had actually reached out to about 40 artists and ended up getting over 120 that wanted to participate, which is like always just like insane. Um, but I, that actually, I'm gonna give a little bit of credit to my previous team over at Moog. Um, we put on a global live stream of 50 um, female and non-binary performers in December of 2017. And that was one of the biggest challenges I've ever had to overcome with a team. Um, and because by global, we meant like in Kazakhstan, not just New York and LA and London mm -hmm. and easy spots. Like we really made sure to find artists everywhere across the world um, and put them on for 50 hours, which is also a long time to be awake. Um, so I say that because I knew it was possible to do something like that because of that project. And so about three weeks before Fader Fort happened, really the top of March, um, the executives and myself and a couple other people on the team were like, what if Fader Ford doesn't happen? And really we were just like, we need to turn this into a live stream. And so we immediately mm. just pivoted and asked all these artists to give us amazing, never before seen con content. And when I say live stream in this, um, in this context, it was a broadcast, it wasn't true live yet. And so that's important too, because artists were willing to give us really cool content, like Guap Dad um, gave us like a, a really cool piece where he was pretending to be like Gordon Scamsey and like doing a <laughs> show and it's Guap so good. Dad, love Guap Dad. You gotta <laughs> love Guap Dad. Guap Dad. <laughs> so Somebody needs to give that man a television show. He's so yeah, good. For real though. Um, so yeah, so he did the Gordon Scamsey and like all of these artists did really creative and interesting pieces of content. Um, and so we just ran them as a broadcast for 48 hours. Um, and it was, you know, you can only watch it while the broadcast was live and that was it. And so that was like the way we pivoted, right? Is we took something very traditional, which is Fader Ford is like a three-day music festival at South by Southwest with like an open bar and like a crazy VIP list. Um, and we just brought that online. And then we were able to duplicate that again in July, um, thanks to our partners, which were Dolby and Duce Cognac. So, um, so from them, a brand perspective, that's what we've been doing. We've been really focusing on Fader Fort because it's got a lot of name recognition and like ability to be flexible in sort of these crazy times. The other thing that I want to point out is that the team, and by the team I mean our editorial team, has been extremely brilliant at being able to create content in like a COVID universe. Um, I actually want to give a major shout out to Brian Hahn, who's one of our producers at the Fader, who was able to remotely direct and produce our piece for Dolby. Um, here, he, I think he was here in New York and the piece was being filmed in LA. It's definitely like, the team is just like experimental and exciting all the time. And so like, this was just like another sort of challenge that they all kind of took to um, and just like slayed um, way more than I think any of us really had expected. Um, and so for that Dolby project, we were working with Terrace Martin, who's obviously incredible. Um, and he had an on-the-ground photographer and videographer that our my team or the Fader team worked with in order to sort of make these things happen. So just like we're here like on a Zoom hanging out and having a conversation, like that's what was happening in order to make the content happen. Um, it's allowed for a lot of really cool experimentation. Um, and also I think a, a much more intimate look into artists' lives because they're kind of the ones making the content because of all the um, 
the like parameters around having new people into their spaces. So it's it's been really cool to kind of see that come to life. Right, right. Um, kind of piggybacking off of COVID, um, but generally um, extrapolating to the kind of entire field itself. It seems like a lot of people right now, since there's not that many touring revenue, is focusing on like brand partnerships and that sort of thing. Um, I guess, what do you think the consequences that of that are uh, positive or negative? I know like, for example, um, in the film industry, I was speaking to a um, music supervisor and she was saying that she's pitching music for TV shows and films that actually weren't supposed to come out um, on platforms like, you know, these big streaming platforms. And now they're kind of coming out because there's not much left, Um, which obviously gives a big opportunity for music supervisors. But then you have these, then you have these really big streaming platforms putting out the work that wasn't necessarily their best foot forward. So when it comes to, when it comes to artists kind of like rushing the brand space, um, what do you think are like the positives and negatives of something like that happening? Yeah. You know, I haven't really thought about that too deeply. Um, I think the difference with what brand partnerships in the artist world is, is it's still a personal connection, right? It's not just a piece of art that is like faceless Mm -hmm. song inserted into a movie is right. Mm -hmm. Usually when artists get involved in a brand partnership is because they are physically doing something or they are a part of it in a way that is a little bit more three dimensional or, you know, than just being like an underlying sort of like sound in someone else's vision. Right. So I say that because like, I actually don't think there's a whole lot of negative to this other than mm-hmm. honestly the quality and by quality of that, I, I mean, like I'm sort of tired of looking at zoom, you know, content. <laughs> like, I miss like beautifully shot, gorgeously done documentary yeah. because we, like you said, we don't really have the access to do those as much anymore. And so when there is like a beautiful piece, like, you know, Nick Cave at like Alley Pally happening, like, I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to watch it. Right. Uh-huh. There's only so many Instagram lives that I'll tune into anymore. <laughs> you know, even right. if I'm like the biggest fan of the artist that's happening. So I think that's really the only like negative in my opinion, mm-hmm. because artists are still going to have their perspectives and, and their point of views. It's very rare that an artist gets injected into something and has to like completely abandon who they are. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. Um, do you think that brands are, are, um, do you think that excitement from artists is met with brands at the same time? So like, do you think brands are kind of like, Oh wow, all these artists want to work with brands now. That's, that's awesome. Like, let's do it. Or is it sort of like, we still have to keep the same, processes that we had before we can only do certain uh, certain amount of campaigns a year like do you think that they've kind of been you know met those artists with excitement or I think yes and no so like Mm -hmm. artists are not making revenue brands are also not making revenue in the way they used to right because people Mm -hmm. are not traveling they're not going out shopping in person you know there's all these parameters now that are kind of keeping us very insular and granted people may be shopping online and all that but the numbers aren't necessarily what they were in january right and so even a year ago because Mm. also there's tons of people who are unemployed or who have their salaries cut that can't afford those like luxuries that they may have been able to buy you know a year right and so brands in general have been extremely hesitant to do anything that's why i'm like super grateful the ones that are willing to sort of sign on with Vader um, because a it, it keeps us alive to be quite frank um, mm-hmm. and b it's nice to see that they care about the universe even when there is sort of like panic you know happening. right so that being said like I don't I think brands are excited to work with artists I think 
they're all, if they're excited to work with artists, they're always excited to work with artists. I think that's what mm. I'm trying to hear. But there are, the budgets are way smaller than they would be like Q3 of 2019 versus like now. Um, you know, we are in the process of, fingers crossed, hopefully winning um, an incredible, like an incredible campaign for a luxury car company. And like I was alluding to earlier, when we got the list back from the talent team of who was available, <laughs> I was shocked to see some of these names on that list because <laughs> right. the budget is not huge, you know? And it was like, right. oh, like, hello, old school rapper that I definitely thought was going to cost <laughs> money. All right. Or, you know, then sometimes you have amazing artists that you were like, oh man, there's, they would be just a little bit out of budget, but now they're obtainable and they're the <laughs> Like now they're the right artists too. So it's just kind of like magic in that respect. I know that's like right. a little vague, but. Um, no, that's, that was great. That was great. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, everyone's looking for, for more money, not just the brands, but the artists too. So yeah. it's kind of like everyone is sizing down together. Is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And I think what as long as the expectations are like realistic, I was kind of alluding mm -hmm. to that earlier too. Like there's plenty of work to be done. There's plenty of cool shit to do. You just can't ask for a million dollars right now because you're going to get laughed out of the room, no matter who you are. Like Federer is not asking for a million dollars. So Right. If, if Jordan asks, they answer. <laughs> <laughs> but have I asked yet? No. So I maybe we should test it. Right. <laughs> um, when it comes to measuring success, I know you mentioned at one point that it often boils between facilitating transactions or brand awareness. What are some of the, the KPIs and how do you really go about kind of quantifying performance um, when you're running a campaign? Uh, I'm going to give you the truthful answer is it depends on every single partnership. Um, the fader is expert at making really bespoke campaigns to the brands we work with. So like sometimes in the case of our New Balance project that we did, I think that was last like March of 2019, like the KPIs were to drive like brand awareness in music, but also to sell sneakers. Um, you know, and we did this amazing like three part video series with a bunch of really great artists that were like, the videos were like short form documentaries. So they're beautifully shot. They're very much like in the fader sort of visual, like aesthetic and ethos and, and just very cool pieces of content. But what was cool about that project is that we were also able to use that creative in order to create all the like selling assets. So, and by that, I mean like, you know, all the digital media banners, all the social media banners, all the print media, you know, all of that stuff came from what we shot. So that was able to drive sales because you're kind of staying in the same universe. Like when you have somebody who loves an artist like Harry Hudson, who was in the campaign and they're clicking on the page about the video that's, you know, that we've created about Harry Hudson in partnership with New Balance. And now you have all the ads featuring Harry Hudson. It's very easy to be like, oh, well, I love Harry Hudson. So I'm going to go buy those sneakers rather than like jarringly throwing like stale brand creative or just like, I don't even want to say stale because that's not fair to New Balance. Um, rather than throwing just like disconnected brand creative into it. And so we have become experts at like little things like that that allow us to sort of meet almost any KPI, whether that's, you know, actually driving sales or downloads or whatever. 
um, or obviously brand awareness. The thing the fader does best though is brand awareness because again, music is very emotional. You don't want to like hit it too hard because then you can actually repel people a little bit. So knowing when the assets are, are really cool is also kind of a part of the, like the, the rubric here, right? If the shoot isn't going well, then we as the creators need to make it better in order to represent that brand so that it does become successful. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, it totally does. And I think it's, um, yeah, making sure it's very aligned. Every brand has different objectives. So making sure you can always kind of reverse engineer success based on the needs of the project. I'm sure a lot of the, the creativity that is involved in that process too is kind of goes brand by brand as well. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, when I know it seems like one other thing that you're interested in too is kind of the what the, the future of like music experiences look like from like spatial sound and mixed reality. Can you just like AR, VR, all that good stuff. Can you talk about what excites you personally about that space and, and what you're personally looking forward to in the, the next couple of years or decade? Yeah, I mean, that is like a world that I was exposed to, thankfully, through Moog. You know, that is a company that is continually like evolving what they do and how they do it um and you know they're based in Asheville, north carolina so they're sort of like this little weird like laboratory of cool ideas all the time um and so i got exposed to spatial sound outside of just like owning a sonos system you know really through moog um and what that meant to use the landscape that you're in also is almost an instrument and so for me i want to see more work in that space of like how people can set up their own personal homes in an affordable and obtainable way in order to heighten their sort of like live streaming or like music listening experience because that's kind of the thing that's a bummer right now is everybody has like live stream fatigue right and again like my favorite artists have been doing live streams all summer long that doesn't necessarily mean that i'm excited about tuning in anymore because sound quality to me is really important and so there's only so many like like instagram lives that actually sound kind of good and so i think just getting into that universe more of embracing spatial sound technology will kind of get us through covid in a way that like will at least continue to make creative content and not kind of keep a low hum of just like live streams that are kind of like you tune into for five minutes or not you know what does it mean to create an experience that's much more personal through the use of like sound and like you know multi-channel speaker technology wait so can you can you further actually dive into what that what that looks like and if you've actually seen it yeah so i haven't seen it this is the <laughs> problem um this is my, my, my little like nerd brain going like oh like if i could do this but actually i'll explain a project that i saw a million years ago and i'm gonna butcher his name so please forgive me but there's mm -hmm. an, an icelandic artist by the name of ragnar i cannot pronounce his last name so i'm not even gonna try and he did a piece called the visitors um which was um he took a bunch of friends who are all musicians and really cool, and he's a musician himself. He's actually pretty well known for doing a piece with the National um, a couple of years ago that I think was called like A Song of Sorrow, where the National played for like 48 hours straight without a break um, or something crazy like that. He's kind of one of those like boundary pushing artists who really cares about the music space. So the piece that he did, The Visitors, um, they took over this mansion, I think it was in upstate New York, and they put cameras and you know really great sound quality capture equipment in like eight or so rooms of the space. And each room had a different artist in it. They couldn't see each other and they played this beautiful piece of music 
um, that I don't unfortunately remember the name of, and then they recorded it. And that sounds cool and interesting by itself, but when they put it on display at like major museums like the Hirshhorn in Washington, DC, they actually set up the room with eight like large format televisions and then spatial audio technology. And by spatial audio, we mean technology that's receptive to the, to the space that it's in, right? Or that it augments the space that it's in or the space that, you're, that it surrounds. And so as you would like look at these televisions, as you would get closer to maybe the cello player, you would only hear the cello player's piece. And as you'd be in the middle of the room, you'd hear the whole piece, right? And so it, it kind of like moves and adapts with you, even though, you know, you're just standing in a black box sort of like room in like an, a museum. So when I say spatial sound, like I want to see the ability for an artist to be able to control that from your own like home listening system. Like what, like how does Sonos get involved in making this happen? Or maybe some, you know, Bose or Dolby even, God, I would love if they got into, got involved in this. You know, what does it mean to sort of take the pre-existing audio? Because people have, um, you know, Alexa speakers and all these things now that are all over their houses. What does it mean to be able to tap into those and create an actual listening experience that isn't just like from the speakers of your computer? You know, like- And also what, what do concerts look like at that point? You know, exactly, like- Exactly. It'd be incredible yeah. if, if you could do something like exactly. that. <laughs> so that's kind of where my brain is going. And then if you want the sort of like layer on top of that, um, I don't know if this is like kosher to say, so I'll just say it. Um, I am a- <laughs> big enthusiast when it comes to cannabis. So like what is also laying cannabis onto that, right? Like how mm -hmm. do you connect like a spatial sound concert with now being high, you know, or, or that kind of conversation. And so, and facilitating like connection and community in that respect. Um, that's kind of where my brain goes when I have a day off to think. That's awesome. Thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, you know, we want to thank you for coming out. Um, like I said, very glad that we ended up connecting in the way that we did. I was pretty hyped when uh, I saw that you interacted with anything that I did. So I'm, I'm definitely glad, I'm definitely glad that we could get you on. Um, Fader is obviously when a lot of people think of it, I think they think of uh, the brand in terms of finding and promoting new artists. And I think that, um, you know, the, what you do for them does that in a very unique way that I think a lot of listeners will be able to learn from. So, uh, yeah, just want to thank you again. Yeah. Oh my God. My pleasure. And, and thanks for reaching out too. You guys have a great podcast, so I'm happy to be a part of it. Awesome. Awesome. You well, we'll catch you. up with you. Thank yeah. you so much. Bye y'all. Man, that was a great episode. I mean, I really enjoyed hearing what you had to say. I think it's really going to be exciting times as we kind of enter the next frontier of spatial sounds and these interesting mixed reality experiences. I think I, I love seeing brands really create this domino effect within culture. And the fact that she's been able to facilitate that on such a high level with so many awesome brands and artists to me is very inspiring. I think for you guys as listeners, take 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 notes on her advice. I mean, look at some of the other brands that you're already seeing do interesting partnerships with artists. Don't be afraid to reach out. Um, I think you can create a lot of these opportunities on your own and during such a tough time as COVID where you might not be uh, doing live touring and events, being able to kind of drum up some of those opportunities can make or break, uh, kind of help you get through these very challenging hard times. What do you think, Jordan? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, somebody like Shauna having her on, she works in such a niche market of, of uh, you know, brand partnerships at Fader. Um, and I think it was really awesome to hear her perspective because it's not just, um, it's not just, uh, you know, obviously she's working with very big brands as well, but she's also working in the space that a lot of our listeners can eventually get into. You know, she works with artists and promotes artists that are on the come up, you know. Um, she not only talked about how, how she chooses brands, but she also talked about how she chooses artists. So I think a lot of people should pay attention to that. And I think they have a lot to gain from this episode. And I'm, I'm really glad that she came on, especially because everything that she said, I think laid out the groundwork for a lot of people to, to get their next steps and, and, and uh, you know, their foray into the, into the brand work for themselves or for their artists. So absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And if you guys haven't already, do really want to remind you and encourage you to go check out Vidya. I think as you're looking for a kind of premium distribution partner, whether you're running an independent label, you're an artist, you're a manager, you're getting ready to roll out some music, some new videos. Um, these guys can really help you take your business to the next level. And I, I think their their service and their offering is incredibly valuable. So I do really want to encourage you to go check out, check them out and apply. They did create that unique application page exclusively for the Music Business Podcast listeners. So just head over to video.com slash MVP to request an invite. That's VYDIA.com slash MVP. And we'll be back next week. We appreciate y'all greatly. Until next time. Absolutely.